take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. Today, you guys will have the opportunity to learn more about the story of Jasper Peters, an up-and-coming church planter in the great state of Colorado. I hope you learn as much from him as I did. Let's listen. My name is Jasper Peters. I'm the pastor of Belong Church in Denver, Colorado, and we have been worshiping for about two and a half years. Uh, but when I tell the story of Belong, uh, Belong isn't about me, but the best way I have of speaking about Belong is to share some of my story as well. And so uh, my mother was raised in uh, significant rural poverty in middle Georgia. Her town was not a town anyone had ever heard of until recently they started filming The Walking Dead there. And so now... Like, it's a place, and <laughs> you go into the main town, and there's all sorts of Walking Dead things there, but when she was growing up there, had very few resources, didn't have running water, and so it was, uh, it was, it was amazing to have her, where her father had an 8th grade education, her mother had a 12th grade education, which qualified her to be the teacher in the town, right? Um, to see the, the, the lengths to which really all my, my mother's sisters have, have risen to in the, the education and, and, and uh, seeking ways out of that, that particular instance of poverty. My dad was raised in um, urban poverty in the Washington, D.C. area. And so as both of them uh, grew up and, and worked to escape where they had come from, uh, they ended up getting together, uh, my, my parents and my, all my older siblings, I'm the youngest of, uh, of a number of children, <laughs> the youngest of eight. Um, but, but for me growing up, uh, we ended up being a, a black family that was very rooted in what it meant to be black and, and, and history and, um, and, and especially the black church experience. And yet my lived experience was in a predominantly white world. I grew up in a mostly Jewish neighborhood going to a, a private Catholic school. So being a black Baptist at a private Catholic school in a Jewish neighborhood, the only black kid in my entire class all through elementary school, uh, what I found was I was the only point of intersection between between Venn diagram circles in almost every category, right? Like so, so there wasn't a way for me to share most of my experiences. I couldn't talk about church in a way that made any sense to to my classmates. I couldn't talk about my classmates to my church friends because they were in they were they went to school in very very different places. Um, this is all in Denver, yeah. Um, and so, so before going to, to the private school, we actually were a part of the busing that was happening in Denver. And so they bused us from the white neighborhood to the black neighborhood. And we're sort of like, can, can we just stay? Like, can we, we're good. We're, we're going the other way. But they're like, no, no, everybody has to, has to come this way. And so that's in, in part how we ended up in, in private school. Uh, but so much of my uh, formative years, so many of my formative years were spent in the context of just sort of being alone or not really having a place that, that felt like home per se. Um, and yet steeped in, in, um, in a really amazing faith tradition. My dad, uh, who's, who's 51 when I was born, so he lived this whole lifetime before, before I was born. My dad, uh, was not just colleagues, but friends with Dr. King. So like they would like 
play pool together and hang out. Like I've got pictures of Dr. King pre- presenting awards to my dad. Like it's a weird thing. It's a it's it, it's it, for, so from the very beginning, it's sort of these these very strange shoes that people were assuming that I was going to try to fill somehow that I that I've never really aspired to. Um, but but growing up in this in this particular faith tradition and 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 lived experience of feeling like there's no place for me, and so. Um, so fast forward uh, to having a sense of a call of ministry, having all sorts of you know life experiences. But eventually, I get to seminary, get get through seminary. Um, I'm appointed to a Methodist church that I remember my parents talking about when I was a kid. They would talk about Trinity as the whitest church in Denver, and it sort of is. Like it really, it, it, like it sincerely is. And yet somehow that's where I ended up doing my internship, and then hung out there for a while, and then I was appointed as the associate pastor to what I, you know, didn't say from from the pulpit there, but recognize that my parents were like, it's great that you're there, but it's it's definitely an incredibly white church that's rooted in a very historic, traditional uh, liturgy, and isn't quite sure what gift it can be to the world right now. But I, but I love those folks and they loved me and I was serving there and I was really happy serving there uh, from the time I was appointed until eight weeks later when, uh, <laughs> quite a long time, right? Uh, when, when, it, when a DS shows up and, and I kind of, I, I, I jokingly criticize uh, this DS for this because he didn't tell anyone that this conversation was coming but he comes and he sits down with all the pastors uh, in, in the room and uh, all the pastors of the, of the church and says, you know, uh, the Methodist Church is going to be closing a lot of churches, and I don't want my legacy to only be closing churches. I want to help start some new things, and so uh, I want to start something new downtown. I think that uh, churches do better with parent-partner relationships, and so I would love for Trinity to help this, and I want Jasper to run it, and because he's so great, and I know his parents, and I work with his dad on this thing, and he's got that. Like, and he's saying this, and I'm looking around the room, and no, no one else is really smiling. <laughs> like, 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 there's this this tension. So I'm sort of like trying to give him like the kill signal. Like, please stop complimenting me. It's not doing any favors for me in this moment. Um, but, but he he sort of drops this life changing thing in my lap. And, and the way I describe it is, for the first four and a half minutes, I was incredibly flattered that they would trust me and believe in me to go and do this new thing. And then like minute five hit. And from then on, it was just blind panic. It was just, just like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't take this class. And, and, and moreover, I don't know that I feel called to this work. I know that they're saying that they're going to support this and they can offer some funding, but I, I don't know if I truly feel called to this. And so um, my response was, I'm interested, but I really need time to, to think and discern. And so I'm not going to give you a yes right now, but if you can offer me the, some tools to help me figure this out, then I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And, uh, and so they, they, they flew me out to a, a conference, a conference called Exponential. It was a very, like, practically, Exponential's great. Theologically, something else, right? Like, so, so I get there and, uh, and I, I, I walk in to the worship space and it's like very, very new age. Like there's like LED lights on the shoes of all the people on stage and there's like strobe lights. And I'm like, is Jesus not enough? Like do we need also the other? Th- okay. Um, and I go to a breakout session and I walk in and this guy's like, hey, what's your name? And I'm like, hey, I'm Jasper. And he's like, Jasper, it's great to meet you. Puts a hand on my shoulder and says, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying for Jasper. And I'm like, What? <laughs> is happening in this place. So if this is what church planting is, like if this is the, the if this is where it happens, then I don't want any of this. 
Uh, and I, was, I sat down and I'm thinking, I wonder what the change fee is on my ticket so I can just go home and tell them no, that I'm, that I'm done with all this. And, um, and, and, and I say all this to say, the really great thing was I happened to sit next to uh, a woman who I, I, I met and later learned her name is Nicole Riley. And met, uh, so she's a, was at that time a, a congregational developer from, from either CalPAC or Cal Nevada. I can't quite remember where she's from, from CalPAC. And I'm like, oh, I'm Methodist. She's like, I'm Methodist too. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, there, <laughs> there are Methodists here also. Like, so there, perhaps there are some of my people here. And, um, she took me over to the Path One booth and I got to meet some of the, at that time, Path One church planting residents, the people who were like, who were in it and doing it. And I was listening to them. And for one of the very few moments in my life, this life lived at this strange intersection of, of kind of non-overlapping circles, right? Um, I was like, oh, these, these are my people. Like, these are, these are very, very clearly. These people who are talking about church, not only with, like, the love and affection that so many people have for, for church, right? But also this, this fire and, and passion to innovate and create and do something different. And so, so I came out of that experience saying, okay, I'm called to this, but, but what does it look like? And... Um, I went back and I started thinking and praying and reading and talking to my friends who I, who I trusted. And, and out of the season of prayer and discernment came, uh, like it, it finally all sort of like locked in together. And I was like, we, we are called to be a community that takes this whole kingdom idea seriously. Like what if Jesus was serious? What if he wasn't just being hyperbolic or metaphorical when he talked about this idea of the, of the kingdom? What if this radical inversion of reality was an actual thing that we're supposed to chase after, right? So what, what would the world really look like if the first were last and the last were first? Like what would the world really look and feel like if we, if we were really pursuing this thing? And, and what came up for, for this group of us at the beginning was the church would be diverse, it would be inclusive and it would be justice oriented. And talk about being diverse. Like, yeah, I, I again, I, I, I'm used to being uh, the only, right? Like the, the only African-American in a room. So I'm like, like even in this room, like I love y'all and you're wonderful, but I'm like, Hey, there's there's two of us here, right? Like, and it's it's we've doubled we've doubled, we've doubled the the population, and and that's still like we it's something that we need to be aware of. Like, where where are the areas where we're not investing in certain people or certain communities and things like that, right? So, 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 for what does it mean for the church to be diverse? Because you have you've got black churches and you've got um, Hispanic and Latinx churches and you've got Asian churches and then you've got regular churches. Right, like, like, so, so whiteness is sort of like is is centered and it's invisible and uh and 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 it's the standard. It becomes the standard. And so, what if the ways in which we're different are not a liability that we should sort of smooth over and ignore? But what if it's actually a gift? What if God has given us this gift to help build up the church and bless the world? So, so what would the church look like if it was diverse? Like we didn't have to erase parts of ourselves when we walk in the door. Um, being inclusive. Uh, especially of LGBTQ folks uh, in, in this moment in the life of the church, uh, the, the grace and love of God is meaningless if we make it conditional. Like if, if, if there are hoops or hurdles or, or, or reasons why that doesn't apply to you, then, then it doesn't actually count for anyone. Right? And so, so what does it mean if we, if we never question the, uh, 
the, the, the belovedness of the people who walk through our doors. We don't question whether or not God loves them and honors them and is inviting them to the full life of the church. So what would it be like if the church was diverse, inclusive, and, and, and justice-oriented? And, and, and when it comes to the justice piece, a lot of it, honestly, Jerry, it came from uh, early conversations we had when I was like, I was an intern in, in the bishop's office, and, and you were like the only clergy person who would wander back there and talk to a lowly intern, right? Like, like, like who, and, and who treated me and us like we were actually people who had something to contribute and offer, right? Everyone, everyone else to a part, like just sort of ignores you and pushes you you away. But but the meaningful the meaningful nature of someone who's willing to like listen to you, and 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 realizing some of what you you done with uh, with after hours at the time. And so when I when I so from from some of those conversations, talking about what it means to be justice oriented, what I say to my folks is, if I gave you a hundred dollar bill and I said, please go make sure ten people have lunch, the longest part of your journey would be finding a bank or somewhere to break the hundred and after that it'd be it'd be a, a five or six minute journey right but what if I ask you to change the way that people experience hunger in a two block radius I'm not asking you for the city or even the zip code but what if you what if I said I want you to focus on these two blocks what I'm actually asking you for in this moment is the rest of your life is your consistent and continued effort for the rest of your life just to make this difference? But 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 that's what the gospel calls us to, right? Like the, to 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 actual transformation, not just the things that make us feel good. And so so when we finally started articulating this this idea for a church, this kingdom community as being diverse, inclusive, and justice oriented, I was like, this is great. And so I felt really good for like another four and a half minutes, and then and then I got to that second five minutes, and and I realized no one's gonna care. Like, no one's going to care. This is going to be me and three people from I Love School of Theology, and no one else is going to, like, really be motivated by this. Um, and I can say that that one of the great joys of my life, no matter what, what happens from here on out, one of the great joys of my life will be the fact that I was absolutely wrong uh, about that. That, that. So when we started going into some existing churches and started talking to our friends, and started talking to other people and offering up like, hey, what if we had a community that was like this? What if we had a community um, that was inclusive, that was, that was, that was motivated, that, that where you didn't have to prove yourself, you didn't have to, to earn your space inside beloved community, and we realized we can do work together that is truly transformational. And, and we started talking to people, and people started wanting to hang out and started wanting to, to, to show up. And, and, and so, so it, was, it was that idea and those conversations and that process that, that gave birth to what, what has become Belong Church. Um, and, and I sort of had this idea. It was like, okay, we need to get to launch. We're going to have, we, we did our visioning and our planning. We've got some turbo groups and we've got this going and we're fixing the building, which is sort of falling apart around us, but it's okay. We, we, I, I should mention we inherited um, a 110-year-old building that was originally a Methodist Episcopal Church South building. I think I, I mentioned that in, a, in an offline conversation. Um, and, and the conference was willing to help us renovate it. And, and, and to your earlier point, nothing flashy, just like bathrooms where when you flush the toilet, you don't have to hang on because it's rocking back and forth so violently, right? Like, like just, just functional. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so we, we, like we started this, um, this process of gathering, and I was like, we just have to get to launch. We just have to get to launch. And we got there, and I was so happy, and I drove home, and I said, Oh no, they're expecting me to do this again next week, and then the week after that, and the week after that, and again and again. And and um right, it's it's I mean like some people can get encouraged by that, but I like I was on the verge of tears a little bit, thinking like, if it's this much work always, I don't I don't know how to how, how to do this. And so our our story in, in so many ways has been 
what does it look like to invite these folks for whom this this message really resonates, right? Like the, the people who have been outcast, pushed out, uh, you know, forgotten. Um, what does it look like to invite those people to be not just in the church, but the leaders of the church? And 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 honestly, I'm convinced that it all would have fallen apart except that those are the same people that Jesus chose. Like Jesus chose the, the rejects and the outcasts and the people who just weren't weren't great at stuff, right? Um, uh, and 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 in so many ways, that's that's who we we have. We're a church of people who have consistently, like the consistent story you hear is, you know, either uh, I'm LGBTQIA and I got, you know, kicked out or shown the door politely, you know, of my home church, or I've been in this this church, but the theology, like, I'm just, I'm no longer afraid of an angry God. I'm no longer uh, afraid of, of of Jesus coming to get me and sending me to hell. So, so what am I supposed to do now? Um, but but these are the stories that we hear again and again and again in the in the midst of community. And what's been really amazing to see is that these people who have been thought to be disqualified or or, or not good enough or whatever other descriptor you might want to use are the people who are the foundation of our church. Right? They're they're the 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 backbone. They're the most reliable. They're the most engaged. Um, there's a, a young woman in our community who. Um, I, I think the world of she's the very first person that we baptized uh, on our our first Easter, uh, who is now serving as our lay leader, right? Um, and and she she came to me early on and she said, "Hey, I know that we want to talk about race. I know we want to be anti-racist. Um, there's a movie called Who Streets, and if we pay, you know, three hundred dollars, we can have a screening here." And at that time, I was like. That feels that's almost like three months of programming budget right now. Like I don't know if we can afford to do this, but uh, but she pushed me and I said yes, and so I'm grateful that she did. And so we we started advertising this movie screening and selling tickets on Eventbrite, and we sold out of the first screening. So we called the the production company and said, "Hey, I know we don't have another three hundred dollars. We definitely don't have another three hundred dollars, but but can you would you let us do a second screening?" And they said yes, and so we opened up a second screening, and then it sold out. And then we sold. We ended up having, uh, I think, four screenings of this movie in our in our sanctuary. And 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 the power of packing out the sanctuary of a church that was founded by Confederates in order to address the foundations of the Black Lives Matter movement, and letting people know in an unequivocal fashion that, that we as a church, as followers of Jesus, are deeply invested in dismantling systems of power and racism in our, in our country. Like, like it worked. No, none of that should work. Like, none of those things should work. Like, on paper, it's, as, it's silly. It, it, it's absurd. And yet, these are the, 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 the really engaging things. And in, in the same fashion, in celebrating Native American Ministry Sunday, we have uh, two, uh, two of the folks in our community who, who are Native coming to tell their stories, and one of them invited a friend, um, a trans woman named Buffalo Barbie, who came and did, uh, who told her story and did a jingle dance on our stage. None of that should work. Like, none of these things should actually, like, work or be compelling or interesting. And yet, these are the, the weird, interesting, sort of off-the-wall things that, in which we're finding, uh, like, little, just hints of God's grace and invitation to do, to do something that's, that's, that's just a little, a little different. And so, um, that's who we've aimed at being. Um, we, I, I, I should mention that we, um, we met Sunday nights for for kind of our, our entire life, but sort of capped at about seventy five in worship and 
couldn't really grow beyond that. And and there were especially people with younger kids who were like, hey, this is this is lovely, but our kids are exhausted, and like we need, like I can't feed them and get them into bed in time for you know to go to bed to, for school in the morning. So, and on our second anniversary, which was about six months ago, we launched a morning service in addition to our evening service, and from that point on, doubled attendance. And so, it's been, um, yeah, it's it's just been this this fascinating journey of saying yes to the things that on paper don't make a lot of sense that uh that that if you read many of the 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 books that tell you here's how you ought to do this is how you ought to proceed not necessarily following those rules but instead uh, being willing to say i think that there's the possibility that there is life and grace and mercy and love in these places that have have just been abandoned and i think and and specifically at these unlikely intersections right at the at the intersection of a mainline denomination and anti-racist work. That's where we sit, right? At the intersection of a denomination that is on, on the verge of schism over the exclusion of LGBTQ people and also Buffalo Barbie, right? Like, like we, we're there at this really interesting, unlikely place that shouldn't work. And, and yet every week we go and, and it does. And after worship, you know, sometimes our, our leaders will hanging out, cleaning up and look at each other like, I, there was power here. The spirit was here. God moved. Not even going to try to explain why. On paper, can't 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 articulate why this is the case. And yet, um, it's 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 who we are, and it's what happens for us. Pretty consistent. I don't know whether it's just church planning folks or or statisticians in general, but but the the wisdom is if you're eighty percent something, you're that kind of church. Like if you're eighty percent eighty year olds, you are an octogenarian church. Like that's just the the thing, right? Um, we have aimed at being less than 80% white. Um, and you can do that by disinviting white people to church, which is not the strategy that we've, that we've chosen, right? <laughs> right. Like there's someone... We'll get coffee. Right, we'll get Like there's a clipboard at the door, like, hang on, wait, wait. Uh, it's, not look, it's not looking good for you tonight. You're going to need to live stream. Um, <laughs> So there's so there's that, or you can create a space that that is truly welcoming for for people of color. But uh, so 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 there's that. I'll add into that my own experience. Um, I'm a black man who has biracial children, who's married to a white woman, who uh, has grown up around and existed around white people for all my life, and I breathe differently when I'm in a room that is 80% people of color. Let's go, let's call it, going back to that, that's that, right? In, in a room of people of color versus a room of white people, there's a, there's a certain comfort that comes. Because we are not going to be 80% people of color in the, for, in, in the near foreseeable future. What I and others in, in, in the church have realized is there is a degree to which we are asking people of color in our community to make a particular sacrifice. And some folks might be more willing to make that sacrifice and others are going to be less willing or able to, to make the sacrifice of, of, of being present in a place where you're still clearly the, the minority, the outsider, the, 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 the yeah, the, 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 the other, right? Um, and so we, I would say, we're still in that 12 to 15% people of color floating in that space. Um, and for a while, really actively trying, like I, I even said, I'm, I'm going to have a preferential option for people of color when it comes to my time, to one-on-ones, to, to follow-ups, to how I'll do that, right? Uh, and and uh, that 
helped some, but it didn't create the change that, that we're looking for. And so um, even in a leadership meeting a handful of days ago, what we've, what we've really kind of settled with is we may not be a church that's diverse in the way that we initially kind of expected or wanted to be, or that might not be our lived reality next season. But what we can be is a church that is absolutely dedicated to being an anti-racist community and to, and to leading and inviting other people into anti-racist work. And so, 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 so for us, it became less about the, the thing that I can report at the end of the year, right? Like the thing, this is how many folks came or are part of our community, right? But instead, it's like, so if we're actually after the transformation of the world, not just the transformation of our statistics, right? Then, then, then the work that we can do is about inviting our friends and neighbors and other churches into moving through the world in a different way and, and making a deeper connection between what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it means to be anti-racist and making and helping people see that those things are self-same. We're like 40% LGBTQ, right? Which far outpaces the, the, the statistical average. And yet, when you, when you say, here are the people who are not invited and not welcome in the predominant expressions of faith in our area. So, so we ought to be above, I think that we can be above that statistical average because there are so many people who, I, I, here's what I've discovered. I'm not the only one who has felt like the only point of intersection between these disparate circles, right? Like, like the, our church is full of those people. Um, it, it's worth noting that more than 95% of our folks have never been involved with a United Methodist anything before coming to belong. They get there and they're sort of like, what's that thing in the hymnal? What's, what's that red thing next to the cross? Like, like this is, the, this is the, the attitude and they find out and they're like, they're, they're sort of like, okay, I suppose. Like, I suppose we're okay with, with this UMC thing. But um, a, after GC 2019, I had four people. I went, I wasn't a delegate, but I, but I went to, to St. Louis. We had four people who paid their own way to come along with me because they want, they, we thought that this was the moment that the church is going to turn. Like this is the moment that we're going to, and it was the opposite of that. And so I'm sitting in the St. Louis airport texting as many of my congregants who are LGBTQIA that I, that I can think of in, in a moment of, you know, kind of trauma offering love and support and an apology on behalf of the UMC. And there were about a dozen who said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can, can hang anymore through, through the midst of this. Um, so that week we had like a, 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 a prayer meeting essentially where we came together and sang and cried and prayed. And um, not a single one of those folks left the church. They have doubled down on their engagement and involvement in the church because the, the narrative that we've, we've pulled together is we're going to get free one way or another. And, and the work that we're doing, yeah, we can go and do it somewhere else, but I think that we are called to be a gift to the United Methodist Church. Like I think we are called to be an example of what the church can be if we were at our best, if we were doing better than we're doing now. And so um, we're we're like deeply connected and committed to to helping the church to help the church see a better day. Our leadership is about twenty five percent people of color, about thirty or more percent LGBTQIA. Um, we are mostly millennials and a handful of Gen Xers, kind of statistically, like the the bar graph would kind of stair step down. Um, but we've got some. 
some pretty good age diversity on our on our leadership team as well. So like we're 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 modeling that piece well. Yeah, we really are. Where where will belong be in five years? You know, so so I don't think about five years out from now as much as I think about two to two and a half years out from from now. So so that would be our five years of of worshiping. Um, I don't I don't say this to my leadership because I don't want to freak them out, but I hope that in two and a half years, Belong will be fully ready to operate without me. That is not because I, I plan on leaving at that point, but there's this really strange and grating nature of of not yet being there. So we're not we're not yet able to stand on our own. We're close. We're getting there, but but we're not yet self sufficient financially, right? Self sustaining financially, uh, and even if we were. I don't know that our leadership or the or the community's identity is ready to stand apart from 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 me, right? In a way, there's a way in which some of the folks are there for me, and so my hope is that Belong can see itself well enough to know we're fine, and we're more than fine, and we're and we're 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 amazing, and we're countercultural, and we're quirky. And we have yet to have a worship service that goes the way that we planned it without, you know, some sort of mishap or whatever. And yet, that's fine. That's totally fine. So that's, that's my hope. The biggest pain point is being a community that is so focused on grace that the concept of, like, accountability is really, really difficult. And, I do, and, 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 and let me say, before, before people feel like really uh, triggered by their evangelical past, right? What I mean is, if you say you're going to show up, I need you to show up. And we, we've talked about this before. Like, if, if you say you're going to lead this initiative, I, I really need you to lead this, right? Um, as opposed to, like, like we've, we've been, like, on the verge of saying, yeah, here's, here's our new leader over this ministry. And then they're like, uh, actually, I'm, I'm leaving town in three days. And, I, and you're like, wait, what? What's, that? What's happening? Um, so finding ways of balancing the invitation, like, yes, you belong. And also, we need you to do stuff, right? Like, we need you to, to engage, like, your that discipleship comes. process. Yeah, yeah, it becomes that. And that, it's not to say that's not happening. But that's the biggest focus right now because it's, it, what happens is though that work and that emotional and mental effort falls back on the leadership. And so our, my leadership right now is just overly taxed. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Jasper's story with me. Some of the things that really impacted me as I listened were when Jasper shared about what it was like to be a Black Baptist at a Catholic school in a Jewish neighborhood and how throughout his life he was longing for a place to belong. And maybe that journey that he's been on for most of his life led him to pastor a church with a similar DNA, right? I, I love the fact that Belong says they stand for diversity, inclusivity, and are justice-oriented, that these are the principles that the church is built upon. Um, I also found it really interesting that when it comes to diversity or multicultural, multi-ethnic plants, uh, it's important for us to all realize that the goal we're going for here is about um, 80% of one thing and 20% of something else makes it multicultural. And I, I know some folks struggle with that. They want it to be more 50-50 or 60-40, but the reality is this is hard work and it's a transition. You know, we say that Sunday mornings are still some of the most segregated 
segregated times in our society. And we see that evidence, but Jasper is really breaking down the walls and and making a huge difference when it comes to multicultural, multi-ethnic plants. Um, so I, I hope that you were fascinated by everything he shared and about the fact, something else that really stuck out to me is that more than 95% of the folks that belong have never been connected to a United Methodist Church before. Um, you know, what that tells me is Jasper has really created a place for all of God's children to belong. I'm so grateful for him. I'm grateful for his ministry. Grateful to know him. Hope you are too. And I hope that you join us next week for our next episode of Field Preachers. As always, if you have questions or if there's someone I need to be interviewing for this podcast, feel free to email me at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Field Preachers podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.